there's any audio issues, it's because we're trying to leisure. Uh-huh. Leisure, some may say. Well, some, some would call me a lazy boy. You are a lazy boy. Hmm. But you're my lazy boy. Thank you. You're hmm. welcome. Okay. Are you started? Yes, we can start. Let me... All right, now we can start for real. Perfect. Okay. Well, hello. We're back. I've really fallen off the the weekly schedule we tried to get into. I mean, if it's not weekly, it's bi-weekly. Yeah. But we were like... I feel like when you were studying a lot, we were very good at like recording like Thursday or Friday, and then I'd edit, and then we'd post it on Sunday. There just wasn't much else but, going on in our yeah, life. Yeah, now now yeah. we're no, we're busy folks. Well, I've you know, been gone a lot of a lot of the weekends, you yeah, know. Been gone. Yeah, but big, we 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 we've been exciting, you know. We have Smokey. Now it's quite uh, time to kind of settle in and get back into the life's work of the uh, of the research project. You know, I'm really exposing the truth. You know. Yes, the people need to hear what we have to say. They need to hear my weekly callouts of various things that make me unhappy with the world. You know. There are many. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, I have something that'll make you really unhappy. Hit me with it. So, 500 pounds of raw pasta was dumped near a stream in central New Jersey last week. The Old Bridge mayor, Owen Henry, said the pasta, which included spaghetti and macaroni, was cleaned by public works crew after it went viral on social media. And the pasta was raw when it was dumped, but the heavy rain quickly after softened the pile, making it look like it had been cooked. Have you seen anything about this? I have not seen anything about this. I think they covered this on Side Stories, nah, like, last week or something. I don't, I don't, I don't watch the Pasta Weekly, you know? <laughs> well, it was funny press. because it was just, like, pictures going around of just this, like, massive heap of pasta, like, sitting out in the woods. Yeah, it kind of sounds like kind of like a, like, like a, one of those performative advertisements where some company will do something, like, Maybe fucking ridiculous. Maybe and then, it was. So now it kind of, it sounds like Kraft is, like, trying to, like, you know, drum some, some business, Big you know? rigatoni is yeah, getting too yeah. far. So there are no suspects for this dumping, um, but they say there was really no environmental damage caused by the stunt. The mayor hopes that the police are not putting time towards finding the culprit, but wishes the pasta would have been donated to a food bank instead of being wasted. I mean... It was like half spoiled pasta on the ground. Well, it wasn't spoiled when they dumped it there. They said like it, they dumped like raw pasta. Yeah, raw pasta like on the ground, and then yeah. rainwater softened it. Did not cook it. Well, I think he. And meant, this man in New Jersey wants to go put it in the homeless people's mouths. He meant before they dumped it. Instead of throwing it oh. in the woods, throw it in a homeless or not a homeless in a in a food bank. Wait, so that. Wait, is, 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 he, is he implying that someone, in, in fact, th- like, threw this pasta all over the ground? Yeah. Oh. It's literally just, like, a huge mound of, pa- like, is he So is he telling the cops pasta. to not look for a culprit because it is, in fact, I? <laughs> maybe. Maybe it's a cover-up. I think he's just, like, New Jersey, we got bigger problems to worry about. I don't know what they got going on in New Jersey, but... I... Something seems very fishy about this about this pasta magnate who just like decides to dump five hundred pounds of pasta on the ground, you know, and then uh, tries to kind of sweep it under the rug, you know, being like, ah, the authorities have better things to do with all this, you know. I feel like this is something that um would be on like Scooby Doo, and there's like a ratatouille monster out there that they need to go catch. There's a there's a rat under a ginger's hat controlling him to make pasta. And throw in the woods. But instead, instead of making like a delicious linguine, he wants him to dump five hundred pounds of raw pasta on the ground. Ha uh-huh, ha! Most mysterious. Uh-huh. Yeah, 
Something even more mischievous, though, a hotel employee in Nashville was charged with aggravated burglary and assault after entering a guest room in the middle of the night and sucking on his toes. Did you hear about that? On his own toes? No, on a guest's toes. I lost that flexibility years ago. Peter Brennan, a Texas man staying in Nashville Hilton downtown, awoke when David Neal entered his room with a key card and began sucking on his toes. I feel like this is something they, like, agreed to, like, when the guy was, like, drunk at, like, the Houlihan bar or whatever, and then only after, afterwards, he decided that they did not, in fact, have an agreement. That's why this poor hotel, you know, clerk is in jail. He, like, blacked out, was like, hey, come, come diddle the dogs tonight, and the hotel guy's like, all right, and then, I don't know. Honestly, I could see that happening. I feel like, yeah, but it's like, unless this, like, hotel clerk was on, like, pcp or some shit like that it's like why else you know i saw this like not on the local news i think they're trying to keep it on the dl i actually walked by the hilton today that's where i had to call the paramedics for those people vomiting profusely they local asked me local hero and, Grace. that's yeah, right yeah that's a pretty like nice hotel i guess yeah i mean it's not like a, a red roof inn nice but i want to know more about this man this assumedly innocent man who like got his toe sucked it sounds like this guy in, it sounds like this clerk was there on an invitation that was retracted upon the gaze of sobriety. So you're victim blaming? In this particular isolated state, you know, case, yeah, I'm, I'm right. victim blaming. I think well, I, I think it's entirely the victim's fault. So here. the guest recognized that the employee, quote unquote, victim. Oh gosh. He recognized the employee because he had been one of the employees that helped him with his TV issues previously during his stay. David Neal was arrested and charged on May 5th, and the guest is also filing a lawsuit against Hilton Resorts Corporation. So, I think our, our victim here is pretty pissed. Which he should be. His yeah. Toes were, his toes were sucked. Non-consensual. Or, and he's, and he's suing the hotel company for a lot of money. Probably. So, I could go make an agreement with the hotel clerk to, like, sneak into my room and start sucking my feet. And then sue the the hotel I, I i don't know we're gonna we're gonna add another hash mark to forest victim blaming on this podcast uh, i you know it just like this just seems you know that i feel like there's more to this it is a precarious situation i don't i don't maybe like the guy saw while he was fixing his tv how beautiful and supple this man's toes were and decided he wanted to put them in his mouth but yeah i don't really know i don't, I don't know, know this would happen. i don't know maybe, maybe this clerk has some sort of weird history of doing that but it's like in this day and age like that i just don't feel like that happens but can you, you imagine know? how scary that would be to wake up like in your nice little kind of halfway comfortable hotel room bed and just have someone you know yeah i mean it's plenty nasty when on I, the toes it's it's you know, for, you know, it's frankly, it's it's distressing when it happens to me, and it's you know, and it's the dog in this studio Ooh. apartment. You yeah. know, so I can only imagine what how it would be if I you know happened to be in the sanctity of a Holiday Inn. You're right. <laughs> they are sanctual, sensual. They're sensual, but oh well. Anyway, speaking of hotels, Los Angeles Dodgers star Mookie Betts refused to stay in the infamous Fitzer Hotel in Milwaukee last week during the team series with the Brewers. Betts and his quote-unquote pals doesn't say if their teammates or his friends booked an Airbnb to stay in during their series just in case the claims that the hotel was haunted is true. The former American League MVP says that he doesn't believe in ghosts, but it was a good excuse not to stay there because during previous days he couldn't sleep in the hotel and was paranoid about every noise. Huh. So, sounds like he's a bit of a baby. Yeah, you know. I never used to stay in the Fitzer, didn't you? When we were um, in the, the Fitzer. 
Um, Fitzer, Fitzer, whatever. I for some reason thought that you had brought up at one point that you did stay there. Yeah, is it the... Uh, it's the nice one downtown. It's like really old. There's a piano in it. Yeah, ooh, I think maybe. I, yeah, I think I have. I feel like um, maybe you did for your old job. You mentioned that you did at one point. Yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, there is one old nice hotel that I did stay in downtown and, but I can't remember if it was, yeah. it was a fish run. I'd, I'd have to look it up, you know. I told you about when, right when I first moved to Milwaukee, I had like a week where I was like moving all my stuff and like hadn't started my job yet. And on, like, a Thursday afternoon, I went in... I was at Monica's. I went into Monica's. And it was just me and probably all these dudes that were, like, 50-year-old regulars. And I was sitting there, and I was like, hmm, maybe this will be my new neighborhood bar. And the man sitting next to me showed him, like, videos that he had, like, taken on, like... Because he was kind of like a security camera that he had set up in his long-term hotel room in the Aster. No, the Knickerbocker. He was in the Knickerbocker. Yeah. And of like ghosts that he caught on camera and it was actually kind of scary because one of the videos was like you can tell he had like a little camera set up on like his desk and there was really creepy because there's just a video of his room and and the chair just like shoots like back from the desk like someone like pushed like Whoa. pushed the desk chair back it was kind of weird i lived in the knickerbocker for a summer yeah yeah that it's i mean i guess it's haunted too According yeah. to this man at Oh, huh, interesting. But yeah, I guess last piece of news on a more less or more serious note: Brian Koberger, the suspect in the Moscow, Idaho murders. Yes, last winter, yes. He was indicted by a grand jury today. He was indicted by. Well, that makes sense. I mean, the the, the case appears somewhat open and shut to the point to the extent where you don't even have to open it. You could just keep it shut. You know. Yeah. So I guess the indictment was for first-degree murder will be followed by his arraignment in Moscow, Idaho next week. Right. Where he enters a plea or whatever. And so the 20-year-old PhD student was arrested on first-degree murder and burglary charges after a six-week search for the suspect in the quadruple murder. And he was arrested at his parents' home, if we remember, in Pennsylvania and then extradited to Idaho in January. I'm just still so wildly curious as to, like, why them you know yeah like, I, I don't know i think there's a lot of theories that like he'd seen these girls and like i don't know was like kind of stalking them but i that's the thing from i did like a whole like right before you started being on the podcast it might have been the one right before our episode started together that i like read through my extremely unexpert opinion through like the i think it was like the affidavit of this and like all the evidence they had against him yeah and i don't think they ever named anything about like why like, why or yeah. like there wasn't really and like one of the big things was that they said originally when this happened that like because there was two other people in the house at the time the other two roommates mm-hmm. that they hadn't seen anything but actually like i think one or both of them was actually like a witness and saw somebody and they just like kept it on the dl until they had somebody because like they were a witness and they didn't want him to like come after her. Yeah. But yeah, there. I don't think there's like, as far as we know now, any like super duper like, I think they do have DNA, but I don't think they like released that it was his yet or whatever. Yeah. I don't know. I'm interested to see how it, how it goes down. Yeah. Yeah. For, yeah, for sure. Huh. I did. Because this, the Moscow case and like the Delphi murders, I have been like, both of those are like waiting on trials now and i've yeah. been checking in on them because i don't know exactly when like the court dates are for them and nothing really has happened except this today i guess yeah well and then there's also the uh 
uh, Lori and Chad Daybell yeah. uh, trial that's currently uh, kind of, uh, you know, they're, they're right in the thick of that, you know, and mm-hmm. that's, you know, yeah, maybe some we'll wild shit, too. Yeah, maybe we'll have to talk too. about that sometime. Yeah, maybe that's one. one you can talk about. Yeah, I mean that's 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 a good, that's a long winding history on that one. Yeah, that that's a, that's a wild. fun one, you know. But yeah. I don't know, wild stuff yep. in the true crime news. But yeah, that was all I had for news this week. Yeah. So that's yeah. all the news you're gonna hear this week. That is, I I feel very up to date on not only you know Nashville you know news, um, as well as the uh, the global economy you know yeah. and uh, yeah. you know I've frankly I don't even know why why the TV's on you know yeah. Because we're watching Extraordinary the Seating. Yes, yes, yes. Interesting. So, this week, we went to Houston a couple weekends ago for a wedding. So, I figured let's do something Houston-centric. Oh. I'm going to talk about the Icebox Murders. The Icebox Murders, okay. So, police responded to a wellness check at 1815 Driscoll Street in Houston, Texas on January 23rd, 1965. So, this is a while ago. Okay. Captains Charles Bullock and his partner L.M. Brada, those are serious police names, uh, responded after a the homeowner's nephew called in not hearing from his aunt for some time, so they called, responded for a wellness check. They knocked and got no response and then discovered a barricade of flower pots across the back door of the home, prompting them to enter. Captain Bullock recalls something just did not feel right when they entered the home. They found no one to be there but discovered the fridge was full of meat the authorities believed that the pile of meat belonged to a hog until they looked down to see two heads stuffed in the vegetable drawer of the fridge. The two bodies belonged to Fred and Edwina Rogers, the elderly couple who owned the home. They had been murdered. Edwina was shot in the head and Fred would bludgeoned with a hammer. The two were drained of blood, dismembered, and stuffed in the refrigerator. The killer also removed Fred's genitals and eyes and flushed his intestines down the toilet. So huh. it's quite a gruesome murder. Um, Did he, like, steal anything? It was not stolen. And there wasn't... The house had been cleaned, and there really wasn't any much evidence or, like, you know, biological evidence in that house besides, like, the fridge. Yeah. Huh. And in the bathroom. So, investigation quickly That's focused. what you call a cold case. Yes. Thank you. Well, actually, I don't think this is considered a cold case. This is a bit of a pun. Okay, thank you. That was good. I know. <laughs> I just wanted to clarify. <laughs> the investigation quickly focused on one suspect, Charles Rogers, the couple's 42-year-old son. Charles served in World War II as a pilot and served in the Office of Naval Intelligence. He graduated with a gr- degree in nuclear physics from the University of Houston and worked for Shell Oil as a seismologist for nine years before he unexpectedly quit in 1957. People were unsure of his employment at the time of the murder, but they knew he left the house before dawn and returned after dusk. His parents rarely saw him, and he was said to have communicated with them through notes slipped under their door. Neighbors to the Rogers were mostly unaware that their adult son had lived at home with them, as he was never seen around the house. Neighbors were also very suspicious because he often took long walks by himself. Which apparently could lead to me being suspicious because I do that quite often. Well, yeah, I mean you're definitely suspicious, you know. Okay, yeah, thank yeah. you. Wait, wait. So did this guy, did this guy, live at home even while he was like working, like with like a pretty, with an ostensibly like pretty like uh, high profile white collar job. I'm not sure about that. I know that he lived at home at the time of the murders. Interesting. Okay. But he, so he quit his seismologist job in '57, and the murders occurred in. 65, if that gives any context at In all. 57, you said? 57. Oh, okay. So this is eight years of just kind of chilling. Yes. You know, okay. From what people know. Right. 
So police quickly took an interest in Charles as the only other blood evidence in the home besides the bathroom was on the keyhole of Charles's bedroom door. So there's your other evidence. The Icebox murders written by forensic accountants Hugh and Martha Gardinier details how Charles was manipulated by his parents for years. They took out loans in his name, stole his savings, and physically slash emotionally abused him his whole life. They, you know, what's the, what the word I'm looking for? Allegedly. Allegedly. So after the autopsy of Fred and Edwina Rogers. Much more careful to victim blame than I, I guess, I suppose. I, you know, I'm just, I'm trying to keep the facts straight here. After the autopsy of Fred and Edwina Rogers, it was discovered that both victims were murdered on June 20th, which was Father's Day. It was said that most of Charles's abuse come from Fred Rogers, the father, possibly linking it to the day of the murders and the mutilation of Fred's body, according to the Gardiniers. So that was kind of their theory about it. And these, yeah, those two were accountants. So that's how they got that going through bank records that they somehow acquired. So a nationwide search for Charles was fruitless, and he eventually was officially declared dead in 1975. The mystery behind the Icebox murders and Charles Rogers are unsolved to this day. According to The Man on the Grassy Knoll, which is a book by John R. Craig and Philip A. Rogers, written in 1992. It's just about like mysterious murders in Texas, including the JFK assassination. You just wait. So I'll, according I'll be to here. this book, Charles Rogers was one of the three tramps spotted in Dealey Plaza in Dallas on the day that JFK was assassinated, November 22, 1963. The man on the grassy knoll claimed that Charles recorded his involvement in the Kennedy assassination in his diaries, which his parents found, leading to Charles killing them. So there's two books, two different theories about why Charles killed his parents. Wait, wait, wait so what's the one you just said? The man on the grassy knoll? Yeah. What's the theory there? That this Charles Rogers had a hand in JFK's assassination. He wrote about it in his diaries. Parents found the diaries. Charles kills his parents. Interesting. So. And was also probably not happy they'd stolen all of his money. Yeah. Also, yeah, if that played a part too, probably another reason that he didn't like them very much. So, in this book, Charles is pegged as a CIA, CIA agent. They also detailed that Charles joined the Civil Air Patrol in the 1950s, where he met David Ferry, an alleged conspirator in the JFK assassination. In some accounts, Ferry was said to be close to Lee Harvey Oswald, having been the same Civil Air Patrol unit as Oswald in the 1950s as well. Claims from the New Orleans DA Jim Garrison pinned Ferry as one of the getaway pilots after JFK's assassination. Jim Garrison arrested and charged a man named Clay Shaw, eventually, with conspiring to assassinate JFK, which was taken to trial, and the jury only took less than an hour to reach a not guilty verdict for the Shaw sir. Uh, This trial remains the only trial brought forth for the JFK assassination to this day. So this Jim Garrison, this DA, believes that Shaw, the man that he tried to prosecute, along with David Ferry, Lee Harvey Oswald, and others conspired to kill the president. Interesting. Okay. And and others inc- being, like, including Rogers, potentially. I don't think he... He didn't ever explicitly name Rogers. People tie Rogers to this Ferry fella. I see. I see. Okay. So, but this Jim Garrison guy, real life, tried to charge this David Shaw guy at one point. Interesting. Oh, you know, I don't know. Maybe being a CIA operative would explain kind of going from being like a nuclear engineer in um 
to be in Houston, quote unquote, unemployed. But yeah, especially also, especially in that day and age, like the, you the CIA know, operated much more like an actual spy organization. I feel like. Yeah, yeah, and then I don't know, like yeah, being like you know, successful with like a major like gas company. Mm-hmm. I feel like that actually was kind of like a yeah. I feel like the the barrier between that and like sort of like political operations actually mm-hmm. wasn't it was kind of thin especially in that day and age he does have very like suspicious spy-ish careers in the past you know yeah. like connected to an oil company yeah pilot veteran whatever interesting so the book the man on the grassy knoll takes some as was described in these things i read poetic license and postulates that Charles impersonated Lee Harvey Oswald in Mexico City at one point, and was also one of the two shooters, along with a man named Charles Harrelson, who was an organized crime hitman, I guess, in the JFK assassination. So the authors claim that Rogers, Charles Harrelson, and Chaunacy Holt, who is famous for claiming he was one of the, the three tramps, um, so these three men were the three tramps arrested in Dealey Plaza after the assassination, so I didn't know what the three tramps were, but apparently the three tramps were three men escorted by cl- police who were photographed by Dallas newspapers after the JFK assassination. So this is like a real picture. There's like a picture that was taken of three dudes getting arrested after the JFK assassination. There's been a long going conspiracy that these three men were involved in the assassination and that their identities were hidden. The police were later later identified the three men as Gus Abrams, Harold, Harold Doyle, and John Gendini. Um, since then, the quote-unquote true identities of the men have been speculated as two of the Watergate burglars and even Charles Rogers. None of whom is, were arrested for that? So the, the, the Gus, Harold, and John were what the Dallas PD released as these events' real names, but people like take the picture that is taken of these three men and, like, compare it to, like, a bunch of other people saying that actually this is this person because they're pretty g- three generic-looking dudes. Yeah. So they just are like, oh, they're also these people that are in the Watergate or, like, they really could just look like anybody. Interesting, interesting. But, yeah, so people have, like, put this Charles guy, his picture up next to these people and been like, this he's one of these guys. Interesting. Um, they just arrested three tramps. You know, yeah. and honestly, if you if you subscribe to the the theory that it actually was in fact the um, the motorcade driver who turned around and shot and shot the president, it would make sense for the uh, for the CIA to have three plants to be to be immediately arrested in the in the aftermath mm-hmm. to draw suspicion away from the true shooter. And that's what people think. That's so, what I think so as of right. right now. All right. So, the true historical account of the photos was uncovered by a journalist named May LaFontaine in 1992 when she had covered the released released arrest records from the Dallas PD. According to the reports, three men were taken off of a boxcar in the rail yards after the assassination. The men were detained, questioned, and released four days later. So, despite the fact that the Dallas PD identified these men, had it written down in records, records were uncovered, whatever... People still postulate that these clean-cut, well-dressed men could not have been rail riders and that they were released from custody too fast for proper questioning, especially after a president was assassinated. Especially if the government knew they didn't do it even before yes. they arrested they them. They were probably just giving them donuts and coffee and slapping them on the back, you know? Yeah. So, um, these 
were only fueled due to the Dallas PD claiming to have lost a lot of their records, mugshots, and fingerprints from this arrest. Interesting. So, a little fishy if you ask me. Yeah. Um, so today the case remains unsolved after Charles Rogers, who is the only suspect in the Icebox murders, I don't really think, there's like no record of them literally ever looking at anyone else, was declared legally dead so his estate could be probated. The forensic accountants from the before, the Guardianiers, who were the ones that claimed that Charles like was being abused and stolen from by his parents, they also traced Charles to Mexico, where he worked a mining job before he was murdered by miners in Honduras with a pixaxe, which is near, 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 you know what I'm saying? So that is pretty rock and roll. Thank you yes. for that. The Guardianiers continued to work on this case, dismissing Craig, Ro- Craig and Rogers' claim that Charles was a CIA agent, Rather, that he dealt with the CIA agents during his time working as a seismologist for Shell. So they just said he had connections to the CIA. He wasn't in the CIA. Wait, wait, so now, he, now in fact, they are saying he turned up dead in Mexico? The Guardianiers think that he was in Mexico. There's no, like, I don't think there is any, like, real, like, death record for this man. They just kind of were like, he was missing for a significant amount of time. They're like, he's dead. It sounds like this guy was involved, at least in the cover-up of the JFK assassination. His parents got wind of it, asked too many questions, and the CIA had him take them out, then made up all this cockamamie financial records for rubes like these Gardeniers to uncover to suggest that it was an act of aggression when in fact they were too close to the truth. Yes, exactly. That's what I'm going with as all of right. right now. All right. You know, case closed, actually. <laughs> yep, exactly. So. So, the Guardianiers believe that the murders were in response to years of abuse that Charles received from his parents, especially his father, Fred. Fred was, according to the Guardianiers, a bookie who engaged in gambling and fraud. He abused Charles and stole large sums of money from him. Charles killed his parents and fled, aided by influential connections he made through his seismology career and his ham radio hobby, which I didn't know that's where you made powerful connections. Their novel, published in October of 2003, states that unnamed characters saw Charles in Honduras after 1965, and that's how they know he, like, was eventually killed by a pickaxe. But the Guardians just have no good explanation for why this, like, otherwise successful uh, dude would, like, just stop working for eight years. I guess so. It this seems, seems like there's seems a lot seems of like, seems like they investigating around this. Seems like they could have started with that. Yeah. Instead of, like, all the, all the hand-waving, you know, later on. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, it I, is feel, I feel. I feel like. If, I feel like these Guardians people don't have a good explanation for why this guy suddenly stopped working for eight years. Then, like, I'm not putting too much weight on what they what, yeah. what, what they think happened afterwards. Because then, like, they just kind of ignored the fact that he stopped working for eight years and then eventually maybe killed his parents. Whereas the the grassy knoll JFK assassination people are like, he wasn't working, but he was working for the CIA. He was working, you know, yeah, for sure. But I did think it was interesting how... So there is a picture, I guess, of this David Ferry guy, like, with Lee Harvey Oswald, all, like, looking at an airplane. So, like, they had, like, known, maybe known each other. And since this Charles guy might have come in contact with this David Ferry once, they're like, he helped assassinate I mean... But it is convenient timing. Yeah. yeah. Too convenient, you know. Some would say too convenient. I would say the I would say the CIA subterfuge, you know, and, and all that frankly makes a lot more sense than um than the oh, this cockamamie mobster father and, you know, abusive mom, you know, get you know, get get axed, you yeah. know. Yeah. But some pretty gruesome murders. 
Also, uh, also r- running out of money. Also, keep in mind, running out of money that you, because you had to give it all to your parents. That's also what happens when you stop working and live at home for eight years. It's, yeah, called, it's called paying. Rent. Yeah, it's called <laughs> rent. You fucking idiots. Yeah. You know. Okay, so this is. I mean, I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready to buy this Gardenier book on on Amazon just so I can burn it. Tear it apart. Yeah. This that that that, 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 that was that was dumb. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. They they abusively took his money whilst he lived upstairs and ate, ate and ate from the fridge. They abusively asked him to get a job, you know. He These monsters, you know. Jeez. Yeah, but I don't know. And then I I got into there's like this is unless really, okay. these Gardeniers were part of the cover up too. Mm, okay. If that's the best thing they could, they could come up with, or you know perhaps that's what they were told to put out into the world to further obscure this uh, this Charles Rogers you know uh, plant from being associated with the JFK assassination. Hmm. Goes all the way to the top. Like a lot of, like a lot of um, interesting, you know, sort of uh, commentators on, you know, like what's going on in, po- in politics or conspiracy theories. It, 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 it just uh, half the time it sounds like they're either a government plant or just absolutely foolhardy. You yeah, know. I don't know. Hmm, one it of the is. two. One of the two. Now I'm just so I'm gonna show you. This is that where to go. The three tramps picture. It's just like these very three generic looking dudes. Yeah. And like there's this is actually a pretty interesting Wikipedia read because they pretty much just like zoom in and just compare like these pictures to like a million people. Oh. But it is pretty interesting. I didn't know that this was a this was like a pretty much kindling for a bunch of conspiracy theories. Yeah. So wait, look, 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 show me like the comparison of one of them to like the Watergate people. Yeah. So Watergate burglars, E. Howard Hunt and Frank Sturgis or whatever. Yep. These two. I think it's just and a those, bunch of generic look, looking white dudes. Yeah. Wait, those are the comparisons? Yes. Well, yeah, I would say I gotta give it to them. Like, that could be anybody. They're both white men. Yeah. That looked... Good job. Okay, this one, they actually do look kind of similar. What? Frank Sturgis. Well, now... Well, and oh, then, well, so, 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 so now we're just gonna arrest every man with a uh, with a widow's peak receding yeah. hairline and throw him in jail for, for both Watergate and the uh, JFK assassination? Yeah, I mean, why not? That's pretty harsh. Put him in jail. But yeah. So then, yeah. that was That's how that went. But I actually didn't know that there was only one person, that Clay Shaw guy, that that was like the only, whatever, trial for the JFK assassination so far. Yeah. That was that was all I had. This one was pretty short. Everyone knows that the only person who should have been put on trial for that was Lyndon... Baines Johnson. But that's another episode. That's a whole other thing. That's another one that I think you you know more about it than I do. I've read a very slanted and one-sided 300-page book about it, you know, and frankly, I think I know all I need to know. <laughs> I'm convinced. Yeah. <laughs> I think um, we had, like, a Spanish teacher that I think did, like, I don't know how he fit into the curriculum, but did a solid, like, two-week, like, 200 slide powerpoint on how Lyndon B. Johnson was guilty. I don't know what I don't know what I why why I did this but I read about between two books I read 700 pages uh, written by um, kind of a conservative talking head and uh, of like the kind of the 70s ish I guess uh, Roger Stone um, and I know two things now. <laughs> 
Um, Richard Nixon was a tragic hero who did nothing wrong. Oh, okay. And Lyndon Baines Johnson killed JFK. Those are the two truths I know politically in this world. All right. Yep. Well, that's good. LBJ actually was a huge piece of shit. I don't know if Richard Nixon was such a good guy, as as, as his book claims. Um, Is, wasn't there other, like, things about LBJ that he just was a bad dude? Oh, no. I mean, LBJ was, like... I mean, LBJ was 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 extremely corrupt. Um, was um, just an absolute freak too. Like he would um, he would have political aides. Um, he would um, force them to come like do meetings with him while he was on the toilet, so he could literally like push a shit out while they're trying to talk to him. Ew, I don't like you that know? at all. Um, I sounds like something that would happen at the health predict, Predictably, he wasn't exactly pleasant with ladies. Um, Makes sense. You know. Um, Not to give him credit, but I don't think a lot of powerful dudes were at this time. I mean, this. I mean, Richard Nixon apparently was that was that was actually incredibly polite. You know. That's <laughs> maybe. <laughs> you know. You know but, but, but LBJ was was particularly unpleasant. You know. As I mean, a, he was pooping in front of people. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, um, I mean, he did have him and JFK must have just had a real freak fest going on in the White House at that time. Yeah, that. Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't think those two, um, they did not like each other like whatsoever. So apparently, um, well, JFK never wanted LBJ as a um, as, as a, a as a as a VP. Um, I know there was there was some issue with the person that he wanted to be his. VP and essentially, it, there was all this oh, sort of party okay. organization in the Democratic Party at the time, where more or less like LBJ like brokered his own way into being the VP, basically saying like, "I'm gonna do all this skullduggery and like you know kind of fuck this up for you unless you give me uh, the VP spot," which which I mean, frankly, I, I would assume happens you know to this yeah. to this day in terms of all that sort of stuff. But um, I mean, I don't think they hire like BFFs to like just go into office together. No, no, but they but they disliked well because like uh, I mean JFK I think kind of saw LBJ for what he was. He was a mob. He was basically a mobster and uh, <laughs> you know was not a good dude. And of course LBJ looked at um, you know JFK as a sort of a um, doe-eyed, you know, idiot who wasn't going to necessarily, you know, know what to do about, uh, well, know how to tow the tow the real party line in terms of things like the oil company and um, and J. Ed- Edgar Hoover of the CIA, no. you know. And so, I mean, he, he knew that the JFK, like, wasn't going to, like, you know, do all the things that he wanted, uh, you know, that needed to be done in that, you know, in that time period. So, anyway, uh, you know, there are books. You should read them. Anyway, that was that was your summary. Um, yeah, well, well, that's you know. that's a, a tale for another day. I do ha- I do have a minor uh, mea culpa. So um, I've um, I, I think um, here and there I've really uh, said poor things about uh, Marvel movies and how it's just a really shitty brand. And um, of course, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna generally stay by that, stand by, stand behind that. But we did see Guardians of the Galaxy three. And it was pretty good. It was fantastic. If you can see it on IMAX, I recommend it. Yes, yes, it was. Uh, it was. You know, made me laugh, made me cry. You did. Made me cry some more. You cried a lot. I, you know, I mean, I, you know, I, you know, I, I fully invest myself emotionally in movies, and um, 
if there is crying to be done, then crying I shall do. I was um, pretty transfixed thoroughly the whole way through it. I guess this is our, our movie recommendation. Quarter. Yeah. I was pretty, yes, transfixed thoroughly the whole way. It had some great gore, had some good funny moments, good plot. Yeah, that was... Some uh, fun camera angles. And then I just look over at the end of the movie and I just see some some beautiful little salt streaks down yeah, your face. Yeah, I, I, I also thought um, we don't need to do like a full on like for, movie corner for us. But I, I, I think the biggest thing to me was they, you know, Marvel rarely um, does a good villain anymore. It, it, it yeah. kind of started with Thanos where they like kind of like tried to like point out it's like oh he's actually kind of right about have, all this yeah. shit. Yeah, and they have a lot but of like, like himbo villains. Like they're just like very easy to not really like that much. Well, I mean, well, I mean, I hope he didn't like this most recent villain. You know, he. Well, I mean, he was terrible. Yeah, but but I I feel like I feel like starting with that like Thanos dude and like I mean and these are just the ones that I saw. I mean, it's not like I'm seeing every single one of these, but they they try to like make you like understand and like you know, um, sort of uh, relate to the villain. And, like, I feel like that's good in spaces, but it gets really old when every villain is actually, like, you know, someone who's been, like, you know, I don't know, like, pushed around and marginalized by the, you know, the the society that the heroes live in. They're, you know, it's just someone you're supposed to relate to. Yeah. It was, it was kind of enjoyable to just see an absolute man- maniac piece of shit. Yeah. You know, um, as mean, a villain in one of these movies. Having you animal know? abuse is a great way to get people to rally against a villain. Yeah, you know, uh, like this was like a good villain, actually. No, so. I I would watch the movie. I will watch it again when it comes out on. I might skip. Uh, yeah, I might skip all those animal scenes though, because honestly, they were pretty. They were pretty dour. They were. They were pretty sad. It was anyway. No, it was very good. It was very good. Yeah. Anyway. Um, well, that was movie corner. Yep. I I didn't have a an inquisitive was for us listening section in this either, but I think you were listening. I mean, we're we're we're, we're, we're talking about JFK conspiracy. I'll just I'll quiz you right the fuck back. Oh, okay. You know? <laughs> <laughs> On facts only I know. I, I didn't want to get called out. <laughs> yeah, I got yeah, nervous, yeah, yeah. but cool. Okay, well that was all. All right. Bye bye. Bye bye.